0: Our New Testament lesson today comes from James, the third chapter, starting in verse 13, continuing into chapter 4. Hear these words Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth, natural and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. What of the wisdom from above? First, it is pure and then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. What is the source of conflict among you? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You're jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Come near to God, and he will come near you. To you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. During my freshman year of high school, my church that I grew up in, that was not a Methodist church, had had a special called business meeting. And these business meetings were whole congregational meetings um, where we would attend. And I remember walking into the sanctuary that night for this meeting. And you could feel the tension and the anxiety in the room. And basically that night, some of the lay leadership of the church uh, were putting the pastor on trial, not because he had done anything wrong, per se. They just didn't like the direction that he was going with the church. And we were in a more congregationally led context uh, to where the fact that the leadership didn't like the direction the church was going uh, meant that that pastor resigned two weeks later. Um, and, and you've seen that happen in churches and in contexts. But when I thought back on it, and I was reading this James text this week, I thought about just how traumatic that event was uh, for that pastor, uh, for those who ended up basically walking out and following him, uh, out of the room and actually into a whole nother church tradition altogether, uh, from that place, uh, to that church, which ended up getting merged into another congregation that no longer fully exists after hundred plus year history and the trauma for anyone sitting there. I mean, I was a 14, 15 year old high schooler sitting there and, um, trying to take in just what in the world, uh, was happening as, as as these splits and divisions were made rife in, in that place. James 3, 17 and 18 in the message, Eugene Peterson's translation says: Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not one day hot and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. The hard work of getting along with one another, James says. And I wondered this week as approaching this text from James, it bringing up various tra- traumatic church experiences in my own life. I started to wonder like, what's, what's the point of this, of what we're doing? Does church too often just cause hurt and cause disillusionment uh, such that maybe we need to be about a different enterprise altogether? And as I thought about that and pondered that and looked to James' words and prayed through it this week, I want to share a few realities that I came across with, uh, with you today. And the first one is this. The first reality is this. Church is messy. Church is messy. For those who were in that room that night in like 1999 or 2000, um, when we were having that church business meeting, I think they represent um, kind of what happens in culture at large and what's happening in the church at large in America today. I'm, I'm, I'm in the upper group of, of millennials and the older group of millennials. And right now, the numbers state that those who are in my generation who grew up in church, that 60% of them or so have left the church. And, and, and I see that amongst my peers and friends and everything like that. And it's probably even a greater number now uh, because those articles weren't written with COVID life in mind. I think for a lot of people that grew up in church, they had similar traumatic experiences to what I talked about there. And they saw that and they said, if that's what it's about, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to be part of anything like that. That's damaging. And, 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 I, and I get that. Like, I, I honestly see where their experience lies and, and say, you know what? Like, the pain isn't, isn't worth it. And then I think there are those of us who stay. Stay in the church, stay in the, maybe we migrated to a different tradition or something like that in which we grew up, found another space. And, and for me, uh, through other traumatic experiences in church, I want to be in a place where I, I had a bishop and higher accountability and things like that. So thus I'm in a system that does that now. But I think for, for, for a lot who end up staying, what's tempting, and especially in our culture today, is to make church into a solo activity. It's to make church into a solo activity, something where I get my needs felt and and met, and I don't have to mess around with the messiness of relationships in the church community. So I get my word for that day, I get my sermon. You hear the first person pronoun a lot in that description. And I don't have to mess with what what Eugene Peterson describes there as the hard work of getting along. Rachel Held Evans was a really significant writer and blogger, um, speaking about really millennial life as a Christian, and she passed away tragically in 2019. Uh, she was probably two years older than me, and um, and Rachel wrote a book in 2015 that I would reflected on a ton this week called Searching. For Sunday, It's her personal memoir of essentially like leaving church and then rediscovering it again and finding church and everything like that. And she talks really about her her journey of faith in that. In In that book, she says this, In my struggle to find church, I've often felt that if I could just find the right denomination or the right congregation, if I could just become the right person or believe the right things, then my search would be over at last but rights got nothing to do with it. Waiting around for right will leave you waiting around forever. The church is God saying, I'm throwing a banquet and all these mismatched, messed up people are invited. Here, have some wine, end quote. <laughs> like that picture a little bit of what happens in the church of God inviting everyone in. We see that happen all throughout scripture when Jesus describes what the kingdom is like, right? And he invites from near and far everyone. And it's often the ones who aren't supposed to come who show up. This week, I was in a training for this Imagine Hub process that uh, I, I talked about in that video this week about our church thinking about what we're going to do with our facility as we think about how to bless the community with it and what that could possibly look like. And, and we, we had our first gathering this week, and one of my dear friends, Megan, she was the presenter that day. Um, During a portion of this, and she shared from Jesus' parable of the mustard seed. And all of us grew up thinking that the parable of the mustard seed is just about, you know, it's really small and it just takes small things and God can do big things with it, right? Whether that's our faith or something like that. And she twisted on its head and talked about what it does in community. And she said, a lot of times we go into our church community. and, 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 we, and we go and we try to make a garden, right? And so we, we set up our rows and we get organized and we, and, we, and we got a row of collards here and we got our tomatoes here and we have our okra here and we know that if we water and provide sunlight and everything, then eventually we'll have a predictable yield and a crop and everything like that. And she says, well, the problem is that then the mustard seed comes in and you know what it does? It takes over your whole dang garden plan because it gets so big and all the birds of the field come and nest in it. And you know what? It's none of the birds that you want. It's none of the, it's none the folk you want to come into the church anyway. And that the kingdom is like that, that it's, it's, it's this messy work. And part of it is finding the holy in the midst of the messiness, right? There is no guarantee in church life. As much as we try to organize and to regulate um, It's A, full of people, and B, full of the Spirit of God, who doesn't really care necessarily what our plans are all of the time, right? So reality one, church is messy. Reality two is this, church should be filled with grace. Church should be filled with grace. That should kind of be like a, well, duh, preacher, but we know and we have experiences where church isn't filled with grace. And for those who are marginalized in our communities, oftentimes they find that the church is the furthest thing from grace. And we have both repenting work to do on behalf of the church, not just our local one, but also the church writ large uh, for how those folks on the margins feel uh, uh, about the church. But the question I'm left with is this, is God working through this messy and broken thing? It's God working through this messy and broken thing. John Wesley wrote and spoke a ton about prevenient grace in his ministry. And when he talks about prevenient grace, he specifically is talking about how God goes before us, how God is in relationship with us before we know it, and God is working in and through each and every person. This is our rationale then for being able to baptize babies, right? The baby can't profess the faith, um, uh, even the smartest baby, y'all. But uh, we are saying that God is already moving and working in that child's life. Church, then, should be filled with this type of prevenient grace where we recognize that God is working in and through each and every person among our community, that church is more than just a group of people, a group of individual believers gathered together. Instead, God is somehow doing something in and through us with one another. I would describe that the work of marriage, and I use that term work intentionally, the work of marriage is a work of grace. For a marriage to be successful, for its covenant to really be revealed and realized, it takes grace, right? It takes the covenant love of being able to forgive one another, to ask for forgiveness, right? To, to seek to understand and to better, uh, to place ourselves in submission both to each other, Continually, that, that, that that's the work of marriage. It's, it's one of grace. I would also argue then that the work of the church community is one of grace, one where we are continually offering forgiveness to one another, where we are repenting to one another, where we are seeking the best in one another and out of one another, that we recognize God is doing something. That's what grace is. It's God doing something and moving. Verse 18 in James 3 says this, Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. Friends, these words about making peace and sowing the seeds of justice speak to the heart of what it means that church should be a place of grace. When we hurt one another, it's not an if, it's a when, we hurt one another. We have to make it right. We have to make it right with each other. And, and the reality is that this can't be the kind of apology that we offer to one another. Like when a child is forced to apologize to their sibling and they smirk through it the whole time, right? I don't know where I've ever seen anything like that. But, but they, you know, they, they, they're smirking the whole time. And, they know, and they're doing it just because they, oh, I'm sorry. Like, it's, and it's that tone, right? Sometimes we do that in our life together. Sometimes we act like that. It's not a forced kid apology. In fact, in fact, what we do every week, especially in more normal times, we can actually like touch one another and things like that, is, we, is we, we practice the passing of the peace. Now, the passing of the peace, if you've listened to me talk about worship before, passing of peace ain't just saying hi to someone time, okay? At least that's not what it should be, okay? You can say hi to each other before and after the service. That's all well and good. You can say hi, like you got... 23 other hours of the day to say hi. But passing of the peace happens intentionally right after we confess sins and are forgiven. And it's placed right before, right, we come to the altar for communion. The purpose being when Jesus says uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you have a problem with your brother or sister, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with them right? If we were honestly passing the peace, not just in our church community, but also broader, like we probably wouldn't be able to have communion that day because we'd have to come back the next day after trying to make it right with some people in our lives, right? Instead, we give you like 30 seconds and act like that's going to do it. And, and really, like that should really be more of a symbol of what we need to do in making things right in our lives with extending grace towards one another in the community. Rachel Held Evans again, she says it this way. She says, Imagine, imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe. Where everyone is safe. Imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. So everyone is safe, everyone is welcome, all have a seat at the table. But no one is completely comfortable, right? Because the Spirit of God is going to keep moving and doing things and moving fresh ways in the community. So the church is messy, yes. The church should be a space where grace proliferates, where grace is offered. And reality number three is this church is where we practice the sacrament of getting along with each other. I'll explain that. In Methodist world, we have two sacraments, baptism and communion. I'm not technically adding a third one. I just kind of think there's more than two, but I'll explain. We like in our culture chosen families. We like this idea... We talk sometimes to hear it spoken of in contemporary worlds like about tribes and, and, and choosing your tribe and, and your tribe or, or we talk about like families, like a sprint commercial did a year ago, right? And it was on a lot during football games and, and, and that you could pay your bill with whoever you wanted kinda as they were your family uh, and things like that. We like that idea that I get to choose these people, uh, but we don't want to opt in to a community that we don't fully choose. And in this way, I feel and believe that the church is a sacrament. It's not just that we perform and do the sacraments here, but our very existence is God's grace working through ordinary sinful people. Our very existence, the very gathering together that we do, the very communal life that we hold and share together should be sacramental. It's God's grace working through ordinary stuff. That's the definition of sacrament. That's why I can say there's more than two probably think there's more than seven. I'm like, I'm more Catholic than the Catholics, okay? There's a lot of sacraments because God's grace works through ordinary stuff all the time. And I believe that God's, that that, that that is really good news for us, that somehow we can be a part of changing the world because God's grace is working through us, ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Friends, James talks in this passage about true wisdom. He talks about wisdom that comes from above as opposed to wisdom from below. And the wisdom that is from above is authentic. It is genuine. It means that we are not playing a part in front of someone. We are someone with integrity who lives the same way through all of the time. I believe that's what happens in genuine Christian community. Rachel Hilda Evans says it this way. Church is what happens when someone taps you on the shoulder and whispers in your ear, pay attention. This is holy ground. God is here. Friends, God is here. God is in the preaching of the word and receiving the bread and wine, yes. God is also here in the person next to you or the person worshiping online across the town from you. God is here, Oh, that we might taste and see and truly experience God through this hard work of getting along with each other. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.